0: Keegan and Company, it's Keegan and Company, the company is here. That's it. That's gotta be it. Welcome back to the Keegan and Company podcast. Before we kick things off, I have a small favor to ask. I would love if you guys could subscribe to whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on and leave a five-star review. Uh, This allows us to grow the podcast. It allows us to have better guests. um, So I would be forever grateful. So now, in this episode, I am talking to former professional surfer turned mental health advocate. And just all-round good humor. Cooper Chapman. How are you, brother?
1: I'm very good, mate. I'm glad that not too many people have subscribed so you don't have any <laughs> better guest on today. <laughs> no way. I don't I'm believe joking. that at all. I don't I'm believe joking. that at all. Mate, <laughs>
0: um, I was lucky enough to jump on your podcast probably this time last week. And what I love is that you kick off every podcast with three things you're grateful for. So I think it's only fitting if... Mate, I'd love to ask what three things you're grateful for today.
1: Oh, Alright. Thank you for letting me answer that. Yep. I do love answering my gratitudes. I'm um, grateful for today... This morning, I, I, it's pretty early this morning while we're recording this, 7.30 on a Saturday. So went down the beach for sunrise and did a breath work with my partner, which was beautiful. I love being able to connect with her, but also do something good for ourselves to start our weekend off. Um, that's first one. Second one, I was telling you's story right before we started this podcast about this beautiful girl that I did a podcast with who has a terminal illness yesterday. And it's just been sitting on the back of my mind ever since, just how lucky i am to have perfect health so that's another one that i'm grateful for and then i mean going off the back of that i just got my blood test done for the first time ever to sort of get a full health check and everything's was super healthy i got those results back yesterday too so there you go there's my um, gratitude well mate you're looking good. how about you what are you grateful for today oh,
0: mate yeah that's actually that's a good one um i had a really good night's sleep last night um i'm sort of been burning the candle at both ends coming back to the gold coast I've been on the gold coast for the last week so uh all these chats are more about um, you know, catching up with mates, um, doing presentations with what ability, um, talking to a crew. And so it's very like it's, it's a busy week um, and I you know, haven't been getting much sleep. so last night I got a really good night's sleep. Uh, I woke up early this morning, um, I had a swim in the pool, same thing, did some breath work. Um, I've been training with Johnny Gannon. Do you know Johnny yeah, Gannon? Yeah, Johnny's a weapon. Yeah, yeah. I did, a, I did a session at his place in Tweed with, um, with a few of the boys. Uh, and so he does like a lot of breath work at the start. Mm. And so I just sort of kind of replicated that this morning. And then probably just being back on the coast. Like I think I said that to you last, like mm. exactly last week, but I'm just so grateful to be around. You know, all my mates, um, all my family, um, I get so much love for my friends and family, and probably actually a fourth one, having this conversation with you, brother.
1: All right, let's do it. I can't wait.
0: Mate, um, I'd like to start with your professional surfing career and how, and just briefly, what was the, what was the transition from coming out of high school? Was it always something that you wanted to do? Did you always want to be a professional surfer or was it something that, oh, this is actually just what I'm good at?
1: I think I always wanted to be a professional surfer from a young age. I grew up in North Narrabeen down on Sydney's northern beaches. And for anyone who surfs knows that North Narrabeen is quite a highly renowned wave on the global sort of surf scene. There's been multiple world champions from there. So I always had these people to look up to. I had great role models when it came to that top level of surfing. And not only the top level guys, but right above my age was people like Laura Enover, Davey Cathles just a few guys and girls just a few years older than me who were very close friends of my family who were quite successful just a few years older than me. So I was always like, oh, I want to be like them. Um, and then throughout my junior career, surfing's quite interesting. You can start getting sponsored and start getting looked after financially and really putting some things in place for your career to move forward when you're at that 15, 16, 17 years old. So my last couple of years of high school, I always knew that surfing was going to be at least the next chapter. I never really had university on my radar. I was sponsored by Hurley. I'd won an Australian title when I was 15. So I always had this sort of like destiny I'd felt like of at least the few years after school are going to be surfing. And how it works with surfing is, especially back when I was that age, it was up until you're at the age of 20, you're in the juniors still and you could compete in the world juniors. And there was a bit of money going around in that division still. So, when I finished school I went straight into the what we call the junior series actually the last year I was in school um, I got second in the junior series which was a big thing I was 17 and it was under 20 or under 21 so I already already knew that yeah surfing is going to be my thing and then the first year out of school I got second in that series as well was getting paid quite good money from Hurley enough to support myself at least and then Yeah, when I was 18, kind of stepped up to the international tour, kind of a year or two younger than some people do, just because, yeah, I was right at the top of that junior division, it allowed me some wild cards into the bigger events, which I did okay in, and then, yeah, transitioned to the sort of world qualifying series, we call it, or now it's called the Challenger Series, and yeah, I was there from 19 until 27, trying my best to get on the world tour, I never quite made it, but... Yeah, I look back with nothing but gratitude about my surf career. I travelled the world surfing with friends for 10, 15 years.
0: It's pretty cool, mate, and it's pretty impressive. Like, I went to Palm Beach Crumbin, so they have the likes of, like, Mick Fanning, Joel Parkinson, um, your now family member, Paul Fisher, He was yeah. our, the surfing captain back when I was there, a couple years older than me. But how is it when you are 15, 16? Because I used to see crew running around with, like, obviously fresh boards, they've got sponsors. Um, how was it, you know, having those conversations with sponsors and being able to support yourself, Is that a possibility, like being able to support yourself at 16, 17?
1: Yeah, I mean, when I was in, I think my last year of high school, year 12, I mean... Long enough ago now that I can probably say it. I I think I was getting paid like twenty five grand a year or something when I was in year twelve to surf, which is
0: mad, which is amazing. I remember
1: every weekend I'd like I'd be the one who I'd go to the boys' house on a Friday afternoon and I'd have the money in the bank, so I'd go get a hundred dollars cash every Friday and I'd give it to the one mate with the fake ID and he'd go get two cases of (laughs) Corona. Um, So there was the perks of having a little bit of uh, pocket money, I guess, coming in at that age. But I was already traveling so much in year twelve. I was already competing in different places around the world. I was competing around Australia pretty busily but still finished year 12 and enjoyed school I felt like it was something that as much as I was traveling there was still enough time to get school done my family did put a bit of a lot of emphasis on that but then yeah once I finished it was yeah all systems go with surfing and I I was very lucky and I feel like now it's even harder to find that sort of financial support at that age but I mean at that time I was getting paid okay money, I was getting all my clothes, all my wetsuits, all my equipment was free, I was sponsored, um, when I finished school, I was sponsored by, Chili surfboards, maybe Chili just transitioning, Chili's? Yeah, 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 I was yeah. with Chili, yeah. for like five or six years, shout out Chili, he, um, I used to work in his factory, when I was like 13, and sweep the factory, and then yeah. get my boards, that was epic, and then, changed over to Simon Anderson, right around 16, and at some stages, I was getting like 50 surfboards a year, I was just like, so lucky, and it's funny, I look back, and I wish I had more of a, mindset like i do now when i was back then because there was definitely a bit of ego and a bit of sort of expectation when i was that age but yeah now i look back and i'm like wow i was so lucky
0: hindsight's a beautiful thing um but from the outside looking in like you're getting free boards free weddings kit you're getting some cash you're traveling the world I'd probably like to do a deep dive into your travel side of it, because from the outside it looks like a pretty cool thing to do. Is it all like sunshine and rainbows, or is it actually can be quite stressing at times what was your what was that like?
1: I mean I love traveling I think especially when I was younger it was It was just so exciting. I got to start travelling without my parents from like 15, 14, around to to different parts of the world. I think I went to Bali like 10 times between 13 and um, 18 or something, like twice a year throughout those couple last years of high school just doing surf trips. So I love travelling. I just feel like it was a great way to experience the world and realise that there's so much out there. From that young age, I feel like it it gave me so much perspective on travelling to a lot of third world countries for surfing, but also seeing how happy a lot of places were that don't have as much as we had. So I think I got that great contrast from a young age and I seriously feel like, and and I understand it does come with quite a lot of privilege being able to travel, but it was one of the greatest ways to sort of, I call it like the university of life. You learn so much about becoming independent, about different cultures that you can't really learn from books or movies or, yeah, just being taught it. You kind of need to experience it. It's
0: like lived experience. And I imagine it, like, forces you to grow up a lot quicker as well. Like, being in being in a footy system when you're 17, 18-year-old, you're training with guys who are, you know, 20s, 25, 30 some are above 30, and they've got families, they've got kids, they've got all this learnt experience. Like, was it the same for you? Like, it forces you to grow up more quickly
1: yeah absolutely I got to travel with a lot of guys older than me quite frequently which was epic people taking you under your wing and then like team managers and different people but the main thing was just the relationships you kind of forge with other athletes from all around the world I feel like I've I mean, now with my podcast, I feel like I'm a serial networker, but I feel like it's just something that I learned from a young age, how to connect with people, actually engage with people and form friendships. And now I can travel to most corners of the globe and I have a couch or a spare room to stay on, which is so, so cool, but so also just amazing friends from all around the world. I mean, I had a, a great friend of mine, um, his name is Beric, he's from South Africa, messaged me yesterday and he was like, oh, bro, I just broke my leg in five places. I mean, in an event in France right now, um, but he's like, I really want to start a podcast. So he's like, can I like maybe ask you some questions about starting a podcast? I was like, yeah, man, of course. Like I still don't, I don't travel the world and surf anymore, but friends who are still doing it are reaching out to me for other things. So it's nice to know that, yeah, these connections live on beyond the surfing.
0: That's very cool, mate. What's, um, at what point did you think, okay, now it's time to, to finish up? What was, oh, what was the, what was the, what was the thought process? Cause were you, was it? Were you having a lot of success or was it like this is the time where I need to stop? Like what was the thought process going through to retirement?
1: It was kind of a slow burn. To be honest, Surfing's a tricky one. There's probably on the tour that I did, there's like 110 guys or 120 that do it each year and the top 10 qualify. So you've got to be in that top 10% and have a blistering year to get on there. And on top of that, you've got a few of the guys in the world tour that are redoing the – basically, it's pretty hard to qualify, but that's kind of the goal for a lot of the surfers. And, But for a lot of surfers as well, it's, it's a big achievement just to get onto that tour. So I was kind of ranked between sort of 50 and 100 in the world for the majority of my career, but never really jumped too much higher than that. But the, the first, I guess, thing that started making me think about retirement was when I was like 24 – 23 24 I lost Hurley as a sponsor they kind of came in and said we don't think you're going to make it we want you to be a regional surfer um we're not going to be able to support you anymore financially and I was just like huh okay I went from making like fifty thousand dollars a year which covers all of my travel to nothing so that's when you start having to really go "Ooh, do I keep doing this how do I make up that 50 grand I need that to travel the world so that was the first I guess push in the direction towards retirement where I was like but at at that time I still spent three four more years competing and I took it under my own wing I was like okay maybe another sponsor will come up but that was when I started working full-time so I was doing laboring for a friend who had a landscaping business for 40 50 hours a week in between events I'd save my 1200 bucks or a thousand bucks a week and then I'd spend that to go to the next event so I did that for I did sort of landscaping for a bit surf school coaching for a bit And then uh, I did building for like a year and a half. So I kind of juggled all this stuff for quite some time. Not really loving that industry, but kind of going, maybe this is kind of the next path for me. This is where I'll end up after my surf career as a tradie. But I didn't really love it. And then I, I felt like there was something more. I felt like I had the intellectual capacity and the sort of different things that I could do a bit more than just using my hands to build stuff for my whole life, and then still competing, still competing, sort of would make money, spend it to travel, which made it very hard to compete at that top level, I went from training full-time for surfing, and not quite making it, to having this almost delusion that, oh, I can work full-time, not train much, and then go to my events, and still compete against these guys who are training full-time for surfing, so I I hung on for a couple years, and still had bits and pieces of success, like still maintain that ranking, sort of between 50 and 100 in the world, but. Yeah, just never had that one big thing happen for me that I kind of was waiting and then yeah, in 2019 when my sister lost a multiple two friends to suicide in a fortnight, I um yeah, just decided to create this little thing called the Good Human Factory to start trying to help people with their mental health, mainly students after watching my sister lost a few friends to suicide. So that started the Good Human Factory and then just slow burn of 2020 with COVID that really started to make me think maybe it is time to give this up all the events are cancelled I'm not getting paid to surf I'm starting to get a bit of traction and really feel this purpose from this next venture that I'm really chasing
0: I really want to talk about the good human factory in in a second just going back to you know when finishing up the obvious question is how did you find the transition out like because obviously you know it's it's you know, you're around sport all the time. You might be trading. Like, there's obviously a transition period. But, how, like, how did you find the transition period from, like, a mental point of view? Was it was it tough to let go? Like, did you struggle with identity? Was there any, anything like that in that transition phase?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think the identity one's an interesting one because I feel like I had a bit of an identity thing prior to the sponsor. Losing the sponsor changed a lot of things in my mind of, like, unworthiness, of, like, they don't believe in me. And then I feel like towards the end when I was working, I started to really get this grateful mindset where I'd be traveling and for years I'd be like, oh, bloody, this guy's getting paid. I'm not, I'm like rated higher than him, but he's getting paid and I'm traveling all the way over here because I'm working full time. And I had this like resentment almost, I feel like the world was against me, like full victim mindset. And then there was this one time I was sitting in South Africa when I was traveling and working as a landscaper, kind of right when I'd started having to work. And I was sitting on the beaches one day and I remember, my dad always said to me as a kid, appreciation, not expectation. And I just remember sitting on the beach going like, here I am complaining about this, but all the guys that I work with at home are still at work right now. I've like, my cards are better than a lot of people already. Like, stop trying to be like, oh, it's not as good as him. It's like, so often we're comparing across and up And I started to really be like, oh, no, I should not compare across and down, but just really compare to other people that are living different lives to me as well. Like, I've got it amazing. So there was kind of like this acceptance, I think, that, okay, you know what, screw it. I don't need to feel bad about myself that I'm not getting sponsored and whatnot. I can just be grateful that I still have the talent. I still have the ability. I still have the health to be able to travel the world and do this. So that started to shift a bit. But it was pretty hard to let go. I got some advice from um, an old pro surfer called Luke Steadman when I was about 16 or 17, and he said to me, like, and it stuck with me forever, he's like, no matter what, just hang on as long as you can with your surf career. You're traveling the world surfing with your mates. So I feel like I maybe hung on a little bit longer than I could have, but I also feel like I probably could have gone for longer. So I feel like, yeah, I'm I'm happy with my career. I got to a point where I could look back at my career without any regret without any oh I I wish I got a bit further I if I did another year or two maybe I could have got there I'm like no it's amazing I watch all the surfers now they're my friends all the like all the good energy to them it's great watching them now but I'm on my path now and I'm, I'm really happy where I am so it took a while to let go and to sort of go oh but it felt like almost maybe I'm wasting this talent that I've been gifted I'm wasting these years of hard work but then I just learned to live with it. I'm like, you know what? I'm not wasting it. I've lived this amazing life and now I'm on this next chapter. Amazing.
0: Mate, it's actually, it's so cool and I get so much inspiration from from your journey as well because, mate, I've been following you for a little while now um, just in the background. I think we were having this conversation last time we caught up. It was like, you know, from the outside looking in, there's always going to be people watching and they might not reach out. They might just be watching in the background. I do this with a lot of people and I'm sure a lot of people are doing this with you as well and so it is really cool to see, yeah, you, you know, you're a professional surfer. Now you're doing something that you really love in the Good Human Factory. Like, tell me more about the Good Human Factory. Like, what is it at a core? Like, what do you guys do?
1: At a core, it's just connecting curious minds with simple mental health strategies. I feel like a lot of us look at mental health as mental illness, as depression, anxiety, suicide. But the more I learn about mental health, the more I really enrich myself in this industry. I realize that that message is far too common in people's heads. But the thing that I really try and communicate is that, Mental illness is something that will affect 20% of us, but mental health is something that 100% of us have. So we all need to do some stuff to take care of it. So, yeah, the Good Human Factory is my little, I guess, organisation business that I've created over the past three years. It's been a hell of a journey. And, uh, yeah, I'm really proud of where it is. The next couple of months coming up are really exciting, some really big stuff coming up. So I guess at the core of it, it started back in 2019 when my youngest sister was in year 12 at high school. She came home from school one day and I've got three sisters um, and Sophia, my youngest, yeah, we'll sit around the dinner table, mum, dad, three sisters and Sophia said that one of the boys in a year had taken his life and at the time i had kind of just been like sitting there travelling the world as a pro surfer at the time, life's amazing. But then, and this is kind of as well where I've got this mindset of like, oh, maybe the world's a bit against me, I'm not getting paid, I'm working full time at this time but then there's kids in my local area that are taken their life. So that was a big reality check for me to be like, oh my God, stop complaining, Cooper. Like, your life's good. Yeah. But then like most of us, I kind of chucked up a story, wrote a few platitudes saying about how bad the epidemic of mental illness is and life went on. Two weeks later, we came around, came home, dinner table, same situation, mum, dad, three sisters. And Sophia, my younger sister, says another boy's taken his life. And that was when I was just like, you know what, I can't just sit here and not do anything about this. I've learned all these incredible skills for for multiple reasons. One, because we do had have, have had some family history with mental illness. I lost an uncle when I was young to suicide. I watched my dad struggle at times with his mental health. But so I was always curious and aware, maybe mental health and almost fearful, maybe mental illness is something that's gonna affect me. So I always was quite curious, what can I do for my mental health? What little things outside of the box can I do that gonna help me? And I did work quite closely with my sports psych when I was struggling with my identity. So I'd learn all these great skills and I was like Maybe I can go and talk to the, old, the kids at my old school. Talk to a handful of them. If one of them learns one little skill, amazing. And yeah, that was back in 2019. And since then, I've spoken to about 40,000 students at schools, wow. across 80 schools, five different states, um, thousands of corporates for companies like Apple, Telstra, and McDonald's. And yeah, it's really special that I get to share my story and share the lessons that I've learned and continue to evolve as a person to yeah just connect curious minds with simple mental health strategies and yeah as well as the workshops as you know i've got a podcast i do merch i have different communities going just yeah and everything the main goal is just connecting curious minds with simple mental health strategies
0: brother i love that so much (laughs) that's so sick like the whole the whole reality of what you're doing is so cool i want to i want to tie back into your old boy um did you always have like a free-flowing conversation with your dad like or even your family in general like was your family the type of family who you know we talked about how they were feeling
1: yes and no it's a great contrast I had um my dad was quite open about it would sort of let us know how he's feeling quite a bit but then I had a mum, and nothing against her my mum's amazing I absolutely love her but she kind of was brought up sort of with like oh get over it you're a man stop being like a pussy kind of thing wouldn't say those exact words but like you know, what I mean, couldn't really feel the empathy for my dad. Didn't really understand it, to be honest. So I kind of had this contrast of like, oh, maybe I don't want to talk about my feelings. Mum's going to be, not Mum's going to be off it. Uh, looking back, this is just how I kind of reflect on maybe how subconsciously I felt and why I did upskill myself so much. But then I was always aware, okay, yeah, my dad's kind of has some times with struggles, a bit of alcoholism, a bit of, um, yeah, depression, anxiety over the years. So I was always very aware of kind of both sides of the argument, which I think has yeah allowed me to really be able to connect with more people because I can try and connect with that. the person like my mum who does a lot of the different things that I teach now. She's starting to sway. So it's, it's really nice to show that you can have both mindsets, but then still come together and be like, hey, we all have mental health. We all need to do some stuff.
0: Has anything changed since you being so open in your journey?
1: Yeah, absolutely I, I, I speak to my dad every day and he always like he listens to every podcast I do. He's my biggest supporter. He says to me like I've helped so much with his journey the different skills and things that people talk about on my podcast. And then also my mum my mum is part of my 1% club she does her gratitudes my mum is seeing a psychologist for the first time um, quite soon so it's really nice to have somebody who was quite against it and quite didn't believe in it to start to, yeah, be a bit more open and soften up a little bit and realise we don't have to live with these built-up feelings and these built-up self-beliefs that a lot of us have through our upbringing, through our traumas, we can let go of them sometimes and relearn and unlearn stuff.
0: That's so cool that you can actually see the impact happening. Like, mate, I was the same with, with my family. Like, I've I've got the best parents ever. Like, I'm I've, I'm so fortunate to be in the position that I have. I've got two parents that love me unconditionally. Mm. Um, but there was... I've had conversations with them more recently. Like I, I lost one of my really good friends to suicide when I was 17 and I suppressed it, mate. Like I didn't, I didn't want to talk about it. I, I just put it in a box and locked it away until more recently when, you know, this conversation started coming out about mental health and people asked, why did you get into mental health? And I said like, well, mainly it's because of my friend Regan. And I spoke to my mum about it afterwards and she just like, we, we didn't want to bring it up with you because we thought it would make you upset. And so we just we just didn't bring it up and we just wanted you to be happy and like they like best intentions. Mm. Um but I found now like as I'm a little bit older, you get a little bit more mature and you guess you're a bit more aware of these things and the more conversations that we have like this, mm. it's perfect because it allows, you know, us to see the impact and I'm sure you would get a thousand messages like over the last couple of years with the good human factory, like of people actually having genuine impact right
1: yeah it's it's crazy Uh, for so long i had imposter syndrome
0: yeah
1: of like oh who am i like i'm not a mental health expert i'm not a psychologist i'm not a psychiatrist like i don't have all this education and training behind me but i do have a lot of life experience i've learned some incredible valuable techniques and different tricks and tips and just different ways to view the world that have really helped me and Now I've learned, as you said, from countless emails, countless messages on social media, from people that have really, yeah, heard my work and taken some inspiration from it, whether it be different techniques, whether it just be about, half the time it's not even me, it's just getting amazing guests on my podcast to speak, but that's what it's all about, just opening up these conversations and letting people relate to people. Once we start to listen to other people's journeys with an open mind, we can get a bit of relatability but we can also draw some inspiration to make positive changes and go, oh, wow, they've come through the other side of that challenging time. I can maybe get through mine too. So, yeah, it's really special to gather that. But then I also, with my workshops, take feedback, every workshop I do from all the participants. And, yeah, it's really cool to know that my story and my techniques are having an impact. I think it's something like 98% of participants say they leave my workshop feeling better than they entered. 95% said they learned something new about mental health and I think, like, 92% said they'll use the skills they learned moving forward. So it's, like, it's kind of undeniable now that I've got this data that shows that the stuff that I'm talking about is having impact. So, yeah, I feel like it's, it's really special, but it's also at this stage right now where I'm in this really exciting growth phase. So I'm excited to yeah, scale it to hopefully help more people.
0: And that's and that's confidence, right? Like confidence is having like a stack of undeniable evidence. Mm. Like it's easy enough to be, have that imposter syndrome where, you know, like I've, I don't have that background, but you've got lived experience, mate. Like you've been through probably more and you've you know had more experiences than most people, right? And so to have that confidence, it's having that undeniable stack of evidence. Mm. And it's really cool that you're building such an awesome community, like with the One Percent Club. Like you've got however many people in. Like, tell me more about the One Percent Club.
1: Yeah, that's that's probably the thing that I'm maybe most proud of. There's a lot of things that I'm proud of, but the One Percent Club's cool. It's um, it's a free Instagram accountability community, basically. So, two years ago now, I was sitting there doing a meditation one day, and I was like, surely as we all do when we try and meditate, our brain just goes a million miles an hour. I was sitting there and I was like, surely we can give 1% of our day to our mental health. At the time I wasn't meditating daily. I was talking about it in my workshops of the importance of it, but I wasn't doing it myself. And I was sitting there going like, surely we can give 1% of our day to our mental health. I'm the mental health guy. Surely I can at least. So I was like, what's 1% of a day? I stopped my meditation. I looked it up on my calculator and worked out it's it's just pardon me. it's just over 14 minutes. So I was like, perfect surely we can give 14 minutes of our day to our mental health but then I was like uh, creating new habits is hard we can all agree about that I'm sure people listening right now there's plenty that have signed up to a gym and gotten six weeks in and just kept paying but not actually gone yeah. it's hard to form healthy habits and gratitude and um and meditation are no different so I was like what can we do for 14 minutes that's good for our mental health so I was like 10 minutes of meditation four minutes of gratitude they're two amazing things for our mental health Surely I can do that each day. So I was like, okay, every morning I'll do a meditation. Every night I'll write three things I'm grateful for. There's my 14 minutes. But I was like, I knew that we're about 800% more likely to maintain a healthy habit if we have an accountability group around us. When we have an accountability group, it yeah, it just gives us that little push that we need sometimes. So I just put out on Instagram on my story, who wants to join an accountability group where every morning I'll send a little link that you can click to a meditation that goes for 10 minutes. And every night... I'll put three things I'm grateful for on my Instagram story and then I'll send that story to the group chat and then you guys will write your three things you're grateful for too. Way to sit there each night and reflect on a few things and then you get to read every other, everyone else's gratitudes. So that started, yeah, 770 days ago, the day of recording this. Um, it started with 30 members the first day. There's now like 1,600 members from strangers all around the world. The groups have about 150 to 200 in each group. There's nine of them now. Um, And, yeah, every single day I haven't missed a day for two years where I send the meditation in the morning, I send the gratitudes at night, and it's just crazy. Like these group chats now have a 1,000 people writing three things they're grateful for every day. Like I'm reading 3,000 gratitudes a day. I think I worked out that there's close to over half a million gratitudes have been written in over the past two years. Like it's just so special watching this community of people grow, support each other, but just sit back each day and go, okay, I'm going to give 1% to my mental health. It's the biggest killer of people aged 14 to 45 in the country. It's so important yet. Most of us aren't doing much. So if anyone's listening right now, you want to join, it's free. Just send at the good human factory a DM saying, you know what? I want to join the club. You get added in to a group of strangers from all around the world. They don't know each other any either, but you start to become a community. You start to read the same person's gratitude each day. And some days, people go, oh, I had a hard day today. Lost my um father to cancer, but I'm grateful for this, this, and this. And then you get 50 people go. Oh, I'm so sorry for your loss. Anything I can oh, so do? People are
0: interacting oh, as people well. People interact. It's yeah. crazy.
1: People have become friends. People connect. Like it's it's wild. It's it's really cool to see. Just people once they're in a group and see each other's shares each day, then they start to connect. It, it's special.
0: Man, I love that community because you know the the five people that you're most around, you know, is probably what you're going to end up being like. And I love having these conversations with especially guys like yourself who are creating these such amazing communities. It's like, you know, the best part of my day was going to training and being around the boys. It's like now best part of my day is going to work or like going for a swim with the boys or going for a surf or whatever it is. And having that, you know, reliability and having, you know, I guess the community to be able connection. to talk and that mm-hmm. connection, man, it's so huge and it's so impressive. And I, w- I guess one of the questions I was going to ask is like, yeah, you do the meditation and you do your gratefuls. What, what are the main ingredients for your life that gives you a really great, clear mental health, do you think?
1: I mean, I ride the roller coaster just like all of us. But a few of the things, and the thing that I really try and encourage people to do, and this is, was the biggest change for me when it came to mental health, was I used to base so much of my identity, my whole self-worth was Cooper the Pro Surfer. I used to, yeah, just feel so judged when I was doing poorly in my events and I just didn't understand a different way to view myself. And then my sports psych told me and taught me, he was like, stop basing your self-worth on your and your identity, on your career, on your achievements because quite often we're not going to reach those goals, quite often we're not going to reach the achievements that we want to and that's okay. And he said, I want you to start basing your self-worth and your identity on your values, how well you can live to your values. And once I just flipped that whole mindset and went, okay, each day, what can I do that live to these values? And then all the work and stuff falls around it anyway. Well, that's how it's been for me. So the five values I try and focus on are the first one's responsibility. The first step, I believe, for everyone is, yeah, realizing, you know what, I need to do some stuff. It's the awareness and then the action. It's, I love this quote, and it sits at the back of my head because I'm, I, I probably come across like I know exactly what I've got. <laughs> I know all this stuff, but I, I always say knowledge is knowing and wisdom is doing. We all know what we should be doing—that's healthy for us. Whether it be drinking enough water, eating nutritious foods, getting enough sleep, exercising,
0: trying to stay off the piss, trying like to stay, stay off of the piss. We all
1: know. Yeah. Knowledge is knowing; wisdom is doing. So, I try and just yeah, be wise and keep myself accountable. And I, I mess stuff up every single day. Don't get me wrong, but it's just that accountability and the awareness. So yeah, the first step's responsibility. The second one's gratitude for me. Practicing gratitude every day has been such a game changer for me. It just allows you to see the world through a different light. You start to focus on the good things rather than the bad. It's that simple. Um, And there's so much great neuroscience that goes into it. I've spoken to some incredible neuroscientists on my podcast who have taught me all the different things that happen in our brain when we practice gratitude and kindness. So gratitude every day, um, empathy, trying to put myself in other people's shoes. And when I get so consumed in my own life, and I see somebody do something that I might not agree with, go, okay, I wonder what's going on in their life. I wonder why they've formed this opinion. I wonder why they're acting like this. What's happening in their life? And just try and put myself in other people's shoes a bit more and listen a bit better. So empathy, uh, mindfulness, meditation obviously is a practice that aligns with mindfulness, but just trying to be present, trying to actually, when I'm communicating with people, look in their eyes, be there with them. And that's something I'm really trying to work on. My girlfriends are giving me a lot of great lessons around <laughs> that. Um, so I'm getting better at that. That's um, a big one. Um And then the last one's just kindness. Kindness is such a beautiful trait that we all know what it is, but I wish we got taught the science and the data behind it when we we're at school that like so- kinder people are happier people. We all want to be happy, but a lot of us don't realize that by doing kind acts by doing nice things for others without expecting anything in return actually makes us feel good. And it's because we live in this capitalistic society that has all this marketing around us telling you when you buy this, then you'll be happy. When you go to this holiday, then you'll be happy. Hey, come to McDonald's, buy a Happy Meal. That'll make you happy. I mean, come on. When we start to take that control back and go, no, 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 what makes me feel good? Being kind to others, being grateful, being mindful, practicing empathy, taking responsibility. Like these are all things that really make us feel good and there's so much great science that proves it now but nobody's making money off it we have to take that control back and realize that our values are something that we can anchor our well-being around rather than our achievements and our sort of external validation
0: you said you have some really great conversations with neurologists um i was listening to a podcast where i didn't even know but you went a year fully sober Mm -hmm. how cool is that like what was the what was the trigger event from that conversation with the neurologist? Where is that? Is that how it happened? You had a conversation with the neurologist and said, "From then, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop drinking."
1: Yeah, yeah, with this um, neuroscientist, this lady f- called Nicole Vignola from over in the UK. Instagrams at Nicole's Neuroscience. She's got a big following now, but anyway, I um, had just connected with her on socials a while back when she didn't really have much of a following. But she, I can't remember if I reached out to her or she reached out to me. Anyway, we just chatted and I was like, oh, "It'd be great to have you on Good Humans Podcast." So. We connected over Zoom, had an amazing conversation and we spoke about the effects of so many things. on the- We spoke about her story, but why she got into neuroscience but then also the effects of all the different things on the brain from drugs and alcohol to sex to sleep to gratitude to you name it. We talked about it and when we spoke about alcohol at the end, I was like, it's so true. Like I'd been listening to a bit of Andrew Huberman stuff and it just sort of been, I don't know, I guess I'd always had this sober curious thing in my head. Being a young pro surfer, i travelled the world and, basically got drunk multiple times a week, (laughs) having an amazing life. And I'd always kind of been like, oh, I wonder what if, like what it would be like to take two months off, six months off, a year off. And I'd always had that thought in my mind. And then when uh, Nicole said to me, she's like, oh, just by having up to five alcoholic drinks a week, that classifies you as a chronic drinker. And I was like, wow, I've been a chronic drinker since I was like 14. And it was about two weeks away from my 28th birthday. And I was like, you know what? 18 to 28, 10 years of drinking legally, maybe I can take a year off, 10 years on, one year off, seems like a pretty good deal and, and I'd also listened to and um, read this book by Jocko Willink who's like a US Navy SEAL and he has this book called Extreme Ownership and there's this one quote in it that goes, discipline equals freedom and I was like, it's so true, we all think, oh we live this great free life, I can go to the pub whenever I want but it's like when you can say no to going to the pub, when you can say no to having an alcoholic drink, that's a true freedom. And you ask most people and they, well, when I did the challenge, I said from May um, 2022 to May 2023, I didn't have a drop of alcohol, which for me was a pretty big deal. It was, um, I was, as I said, I was someone who drank multiple times a week for 15 years, really. So to do that was just more so for me to challenge and go, oh, you know what, I can say no. I can say no to drinking. And, yeah, I got through the year. It was a bit of a challenge. By the end, it wasn't that bad. And, yeah, I mean, I drink again now but with a very different mindset, with out like i mean i've been home from i went to europe and had a bit of a blowout over there <laughs> but since i've been home from europe i haven't had a hangover in australia and yeah yeah so i don't know i just think it changed a really big part of who i was when it came to drinking and yeah it was a
0: good challenge Mate, i've been so sober curious for so long like even like with mate with concussion like mm. i'm not sure if you know but like Drinking alcohol is probably not the best thing for your brain no, when yeah. you've got an re- inf- inflamed, recovering brain. Like it's not the
1: best thing for your brain when you've got a great brain. Hundred
0: percent. <laughs> yeah. But we, I didn't know that when I was playing footy. So we would have, and I guess no, I sorry, I did know that at the back end. If you get a head knock, they say you're not allowed to drink. But even like after a game, if you're on a away trips. usually if you're on a away trip, like you go out and have get on the piss with the boys, which is which is fine. But if you have a head knock, you're not allowed to. Um, but there'd be so many times throughout a game where you would get minor head knocks or minor hits and then you'd still go out and have beers or and and you know and it it took so long and I think after I was medically retired from footy I thought you know what um yeah I'll, I'll pull back I'll pull back a fair bit and then I pulled back but then I sort of was still hanging around like same group of friends and I felt like if I wasn't drinking then I'd be like an outcast, or I feel like it was real weird. I felt like that they they wouldn't want to hang out, or like what would I do with them if I if I wasn't having beers with them? And there's a million different things you can do, like going for a surf, like going to the park with that like with their little kid, like walking the like. There's so many little things that you can do, but also, I guess, and mate, I was the same. I got back from Europe a couple of months ago and haven't had any alcohol really. Like I had a glass of Ryan with a few of the Bronx boys the other night. And I've been off it, and I feel great. Like I'm keen to hear how you felt, but I feel so good. I feel clear. I feel like I can articulate my thoughts better. I feel like I'm thinking clearly. And what I'm worried about, like today, I've got a bucks party today. <laughs> I got I got one of my best mates' bucks parties today, and I'm so. I, it's it's real weird because I want to be around them and I want to be around my mates, but I don't I don't really want to drink. Mm. But it's hard. Like, how did you go? in the public settings did you remove yourself from the social settings and go into the pub with the boys when you were going through a year or you're like nah, I still want to be a part of it but I'm just going to have an alternative
1: I mean it it was great timing for me I met my new partner just uh, I mean a few months before that and she'd like see me very loose when I was in Europe when (laughs) I met her (laughs) um but then she's not a big drinker and it kind of just changed my lifestyle a bit I wasn't just going out on the weekends to try and get Drunk and find girls and whatnot, so for one, like that took a big chunk of it out for me. And then I, I still went out a bit. I've got like my brother in law's Fisher, my best mates, uh, Alex Hayes is a big DJ as well. So I have all these amazing opportunities to go to all these different events to go watch music acts and whatnot, where alcohol is always there. So there was times where it was somewhat hard, but the general like thing would be like, Somebody, like, you want to be I'd be like, Oh, no, and they'd be like, Oh, come on, mate. And I'd be like, no, no, I'm doing a year off. And most people would be like, oh, I wish I could do that. Yeah. So it, was, it became like quite nice to know that there was somewhat maybe inspiration in that. I've had so many different like friends that I wouldn't have even expected watch that I was doing sober challenge. Be like, oh, I took two months off. You inspired me. So yeah. it's like that stuff was really cool. But I think it just came back to once again, the values going like, okay, who am I? I'm doing this for me. Why am I like letting somebody else's insecurity of feeling weird by me not drinking like sway me to drink? So it was just a lot of like reflection. It was just a lot of going, like, okay, I don't need to. Like, this is for me. If they're telling me I have to drink, it's more of a reflection of how they're feeling, not how I'm feeling. But then now when I drink, it's just about like acceptance. Like, Europe, I was just like, you know what? Have a good time. Don't yeah. feel guilty about yeah. it. Just enjoy it. Like, today with your bucks, like, if it's your best mates. Like, go and have a few drinks. Enjoy it. Yours is a different story. I don't have a brain injury. So <laughs> I don't have something to look out for. But it, mine's just more so about me. But it's, um, yeah, it was a great year. It was something that I will always be able to look back on and feel proud of and know that I got through it. I documented the whole thing on the podcast. I did a weekly podcast and just talked about what happened during that week, the times that I had to say no to drinking, how that felt. Um, and yeah, it was an interesting year. I what, felt like it was all right.
0: If someone's like keen to do a couple months, yeah, whatever it is, sober, and is there any tips and tricks that you found throughout that year? Um, like whether it's having a, just having something in your hand or like, yeah, I I I don't know. Is there anything that you you got? A few tips
1: I'd give would be for one, like announce it and how long you're going to do it. I, I mean, I did it publicly, obviously on my podcast and I have that platform to do it. And that helped me with the accountability. I'd go out to, I went to Rufus down in Sydney and, um, I was walking around with Red Bull in my hand and I had like five people within 20 minutes go, oh. I listen to your podcast, you're not drinking, are you? So I have this, like, that accountability really helped because I felt like I had people watching me. But I think just, like, let your friends know. Be like, hey, I'm doing three months off. Like, and don't just, and and I find a lot of people like, oh, I did dry July, but then it's like, oh, you have a blowout before and a blowout after. It's like, no, don't do it because it's, like, yeah, ticking this box. Do it because it's something that you really want to do. You want to see how you feel and what it does to you. So try and do three months. Don't set a one-month goal. Three months is long enough that it's like, okay, this is a period of my life that I'm not drinking. This is a block. It's not just like a challenge. That's why the year was kind of like, okay, I just, I'm just i not a drinker for a year. And I just kind of could lean into that and go like, okay, I know not until after my birthday next year I'm not drinking. It wasn't even a thought in my head. It was like, no, I've made that decision done. So that was a good one for me as well. Non-alcoholic drinks were great. Like non And, and
0: there's some good ones getting yeah. around.
1: Yeah, like the heaps normals amazing. Yeah. I, they um, gave me some drinks. Yes, you can have a really cool um, range of different non-alcoholic cocktails. I did some work with them. Gravity Seltzer, <laughs> it's funny. I literally became a part owner of a alcohol brand literally like a a month before I went sober but we do non-alcoholic um seltzers as well so that's amazing gravity seltzer was a a big help and big supporter of what I was doing even though I having a part ownership in it alcohol brand and taking a year off is (laughs) a bit of a funny one but no it was great to be able to really test and trial their non-alcoholic products and that was a good help as well so yeah having something is always good But then just, like, knowing, like, knowing you can drive home is amazing. Waking up without a hangover every weekend, it's, like, it just changes your whole view on what the weekend is. I used to think, like, a Sunday where I'd be hungover all day was, in my mind, that's a recovery day. Oh, I'll sleep all day. I'll rest. Like, I'm not doing much. This is good for me. But now I'm, like, but then you get the Monday that you feel like shit as well. So now it's, like, okay, oh, Sunday is, like, wake up, go to the markets, get some healthy food, like, and that's kind of just that's carried on after that now because me and my partner like doing that. It's not like I don't just go to the pub and have drinks ever. Like yeah. I haven't done that in like two years now.
0: I was um, I was scared to go to like social events, like going to going to the pub. Like we went to the pub last last weekend. I had a glass of wine at dinner, and that was it. And the boys were having a blowout. Like boys were right into it. And I was at the start. I, was, I guess I was a bit nervous, but it was really cool to be sober and actually having really cool conversations with crew out mm. like and you meet people out we saw a bunch of really cool people a bunch of old friends and then it's almost gets to the point where people are sort of really opening up because that's what alcohol does you know they get a little bit of confidence and you're more than happy to tell you people their whole life story and then even the next day they're like oh fuck, you don't remember what we said last night like, mate I remember everything you know mm. like I, I have everything on lock um but it's cool like it's cool to. it's just a different scenario it's just being in a different environment right
1: mm, absolutely like yeah with FOMO like I got that for a bit but then I like changed it to JOMO like the joy of missing out like, yes great it's like sweet I don't have to be at bedroom nightclub until 3am tonight like yeah. feeling like shit coming home not being able to sleep it's like no and I still get my dose of socializing my group has become a lot more of like day socializing and activity based rather than going and drinking and talking about people and talking about things it's like no let's um yeah really engage in activities talk about ideas and growing businesses together and yeah that's kind of the way my life's gone
0: Mate, i really want to touch on your purpose like and we talked about it last week and i want to tie it into the story that you told me with ben crow back when you were a little grum. Can you, can you tell me a little bit more about that
1: yeah i mean i wasn't even a little grum to be honest this was i think it was like five years ago now. oh okay i have not mean yeah. longer I think it, would, it was right when I lost my sponsor. All these weird things like cross over at different times. But right when I was like, when you said to me, like, when was the first time thinking about retiring? It was probably this time I'd lost my sponsor. I was like, what am I going to do? And then I get this invite from Surfing Australia to come to the first ever Olympics training camp where Olympic surfing, surfing had been added to the Olympics. So they're like, all right, we're going to do a camp where we're going to have the AOC come. They're going to introduce sort of the top 10 male Aussie surfers, the top five women, and basically teach you about the next four years what it's going to look like for surfers for the Olympics. So I luckily got invited to that camp because the Olympics was in China. I mean in Japan um, at this wave where I'd just gotten second in my best result ever. So they were like, okay, we'll invite Cooper. Basically snuck my foot in the door. So I got <laughs> to go to this camp. But at the camp, I kind of knew, like, I'm not going to go to the Olympics. Like, I'm probably the very bottom of this rung. But we did all these different training things with different amazing coaches. We had Kathy Freeman come and speak to us. We had um, Nam Baldwin, Mick Fanning, all these people come and like sort of inspire the team with different things. But then one of the um, speakers was Ben Crow, who is somebody who I truly look up to his work now. He works with Ash Barty, Steph Gilmore. And it's just incredible. He has some really, really special foundational mindsets. Have you mindsets. done much work with him before, no, I hadn't. before this? No. no, 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 I hadn't. I'd never met him, never. To be honest, I'm being honest, I didn't even remember him after that camp. Um, but I do remember, I think it was in either his session or with Jason Patchell, the Surfing Australia Sports Psych. We did this session where it was like, Let's try and find our purpose. Let's try and find our philosophy, is the word they used to. Like, what's your philosophy you want to live by? And I took it quite seriously, that exercise. So I went back to my room and I spent a while trying to work out what my philosophy was. And what I have scribbled down, because I found this diary recently, and in the diary, I went through it and saw all these amazing things with Ben Crow's name. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. I love his work so much because I've bloody met him before and worked with him before. I know we'll get him on my podcast and have a chat to him and laugh about that story one day. But anyway, it turns out, so the philosophy I came up with was through hard work, dedication and passion, being a positive influence on my peers and younger generations. It's quite a long philosophy and then I look at it, it doesn't have that much, it, d- it has very wide scope. The scope is just make sure you're working hard, you're dedicated and you're passionate about what you do. And then be a positive influence on my peers as being a massive one, but then also younger generations, but I guess anyone now. And ever since that moment, as much as I didn't realize it, I've probably been living to that purpose. And what I've realized is I thought when I wrote that down, it was going to be through my surfing, through hard work, dedication and passion, being a positive influence to my peers and younger generations. But that crossed over into the work that I do now. It crossed over into everything I've done with the Good Human Factory. Has been trying to work hard, be dedicated, and be passionate about what I'm doing, and being a positive influence to my peers and younger generations. And I think my philosophy has lived through far more through my work I do now than I did as a surfer.
0: There would be so many people who are probably li- probably not so many people listening to this There's podcast. So many listening don't <laughs> Listen worry. to this probably my mum and a couple of mates, um, but. They'd be like, yeah, Coops, that's great. Like, you found your purpose. That's really cool. How do I find my purpose? Like, is like, And to be honest, mate, I don't I don't know. I don't know that answer to give anyone. Like, do, did you have any tricks or any ideas? Is it is it from past experience? Is it from something that you might have traits you've gone from your parents? Like, what do you think?
1: I don't know a, a direct answer. Not at all, unfortunately. But I think... The way that I look at it is, for one, like the role models that you have, what sort of values do they have that you look up to? People like Mick Fanning was someone at that camp, it's somebody who I've always looked up to, someone who works really hard, someone who's passionate, someone who's dedicated, but he's also a positive influence to peers, to his peers and younger generations. So I feel like I kind of just stole it from the people who I look up to. Yeah. Look up to the people that you want to live, live somewhat like, obviously in your own way, but... Yeah, that was a big one for me, just the sort of people who inspire me. I wanted to align my philosophy with something around that kind of similar values. But yeah, it's a hard one. It's a, And it's continually evolving. I feel like it's going to always evolve. And that's why I say that one does have a very wide scope. I don't feel like it's like, oh, but that's not your purpose. That's why I feel like it's a balance between the philosophy crossed over with, I'd sort say the purpose is connecting curious minds with simple mental health strategies. So it's like yeah, philosophy is just sort of this underlying motto or underlying mantra that i try and live by
0: and i love that you said that it's always evolving like it, like and it can can like it can evolve don't be stuck and i wrote this down on a piece of paper five years ago i have to stick with this like mine is helping people through sport and like you said very wide it's what i do with what ability we employ a lot of athletes as support workers mm-hmm. it's the same with this podcast like the keegan and company podcast like we're talking to athletes retired athletes coaches professionals About their mental health because it breaks down the barriers and stigmas you know of people who are going through these mental health issues and it makes Mm -hmm. it like if we can have guys like yourself like a cool young guy who can be seen you know having these conversations and it makes it cool for everyone else and it breaks down the barriers and it breaks down the stigmas which is really cool but that might change like Mm -hmm. that that might evolve like might not just be sport it might be everyone in general i'm not i'm not too sure i lean on sport because it's what i love yeah um which is really cool but mate just to just to finish up my last question is probably what's the biggest thing that's Im- that impacts you that we haven't spoken about today
1: the biggest things that
0: impact me um
1: ooh. where can i go what's a good story i can tell maybe I'm trying to think I live a lot by quotes. I'm going to give you a quote and you can maybe like carry on from it because this is something I really struggle with that I think people will get something out of. There's this book called The Confidence Gap by Russ Harris, moving from one industry to the next, which I have no idea about. I have no business acumen behind me. I have no real formal mental health education other than lived experience and many, many books I've read. So I found it very difficult to be like, who am I to do this? And there's two quotes. One is like, if not you, then who? But then the second one is the act of confidence comes before the feeling of confidence. And I see so many people get paralyzed by the fear of doing something, by paralyzed of by the judgment they're going to get from somebody. And yeah, that quote, the act of confidence comes before the feeling, has helped me so much getting on stage multiple times a week now to speak to big audiences of people who I feel underqualified to speak to. But I just act confident, live by those values and yeah, be passionate about what I speak about and it's really allowed me to shine through and grow to a strong audience and connect with a lot of people so yeah whether you want to elaborate yeah. on that but yeah th- th- just that quote has been a big one for me no,
0: I love it and I'm, I'm keen actually to chat about that because I don't know if it was the same for you but in footy if you were to ever do something outside of the normal then the boys would bring you back down to earth pretty quick like if you were mm. you know even reading a book it might even getting a haircut the boys are like oh Floyd, like fuck, what are you doing like trying to stay like whatever it is was it this like how did you go starting the good human factory or doing something that's just a little bit outside the normal of surfing and professional surfing like did you were you worried about what other people were thinking or were you like nah, I'm just gonna do I'm so entrenched I have to do it
1: yes and no I think there was like a bit of oh I wonder what people are thinking of me but I was so blinded by I knew that I was doing it for like the right reasons I knew why I was doing this I knew the impact that I wanted to have so it was a little bit tricky at times but the main thing and I didn't realize this for years was (laughs) <laughs> that I th- I kind of two years after I'd already started, it started to think, wait, maybe people think I'm calling myself a good human because it's called the good human factory. Yeah, And I didn't realize that. And it, and it came up because Fisher one day was having an f- argument with me over something. And he was like, righto, mate, you good human. And I was like, Oh my God, people probably think that I'm trying to call myself this good human, the good human factory. And it's so funny. Like it didn't even cross my mind. And I didn't even come up with the name. When I, um when I lost my second, my sister lost her second friend. I called my old school teacher, um, that I was mates with who's entrepreneurial. I went and had a beer with him at the pub telling him like what I want to talk about and blah, blah, blah. And he was like, Oh, you're such a good human. Like you should like people who come to your workshop will leave being a bit better of a human as well. Like call it like the good human factory. And I was like, Oh yeah, good idea. And that was how the name came up. So I never even thought about the fact that it was me trying, I, the way that I actually think about it is that we all have this inner good human, the little voice, the, like little guiding voice of like, you're not doing the right thing. Our moral compass I always felt like that was, like, my inner good human. So that was, like, when he said that, I was like, oh, that's true. It's, like, that good human that guides us. We've got to listen to that more. So that was where the name came from. But anyway, when Fisher said that to me, I was like, oh, my God, like, all the people at my beach, all the people who I've always felt judged by are probably looking at me going, like, fucking it's Cooper thinks this a good human. I've been out on the piss with him and got loose with him. He's not a good human. Yeah. So that was, like, this internal voice. But, yeah, I think that was one that I tried to – that I kind of had to overcome, but – now through the data through the work that I've done through the perseverance of like three four years of really having to develop a business from scratch in an industry that is evolving and that doesn't I don't have a blueprint you know what I mean I'm not walking behind someone in the bush while they're chopping down the trees in front of me I'm there with an axe really trying to guide my way through the forest right now so it's taken me a while to grow that confidence but now that I've got the runs on the board it does give me that sort of evidence that oh yeah it's all good like I'm I'm doing the right thing but yeah there was a while where I started to be like oh my god people like would be looking at me trying to like call myself this good human which I'm I'm not trying to at all
0: <laughs> Coops mate thank you so much for jumping on the podcast um mate thanks for not only inspiring me I've been looking at your stuff for a couple of years now but not only inspiring me but the next generation of kids coming through with your workshops with the good human factory with the 1% club um if anyone can find you on social media, you're Cooper Chapman and actually do you wanna just say your yeah, yeah.
1: Instagram's just at Cooper Chapman or at the Good Human Factory. Website's just thegoodhumanfactory.com and yeah, they're probably the easiest places to find me. But no, nah, mate, thank you for having me on. Thanks for a new friendship, which I'm excited to continue to build on. If you're listening to this, go listen to my podcast with Keegan. Um it would be out by now, I'm sure. Um but yeah, I appreciate you starting to yeah, leapfrog off the back of your obviously difficult career with medical retirement to really start to use your knowledge your presence to make an impact in the world it's uh, it's inspiring for me as well mate so thanks for connecting
0: look forward to the next couple of years of friendship brother it will be good do it